Welcome to Fave This, a podcast about fandom, video games, and internet culture. I'm Gita Jackson, and you might have noticed that usually Patricia Hernandez does this intro, but she's sick this week, So, and last week we were both very sick. So while Patricia recovers, I'm here joined by Kotaku staff writer Heather Alexandra. Hello, I am Heather Alexandra, that is me. I am not Patricia Hernandez, that is not me. That's not who you are. 100% not. So Heather Alexandra is my dear friend who I love very, very much. Well, maybe not dearest. Not dearest, dear. Okay. I said dear. Okay, that's fine. You're in the top 10. I would say you're in the top 10. Are you shitting me? That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Um, And she, uh, while she's not writing about speedrunning and doing news hits and doing incredible critical analysis of games like Wolfenstein, um, she streams games on Kotaku's very own Twitch channel. All the time. Way too much. I I sometimes stream for like four or five hours, depending. We did a Stardew Valley stream, I think, two weeks ago. And it was close to almost six hours. Maybe I'm wrong getting that off. uh, I don't know. Because that game's amazing. So, yeah, we started up our Twitch channel, I want to say, seven months ago. We had already, Mm -hmm. like, we'd always had one. Yeah. But it was just kind of dormant. And I think it's a good way for us to connect and spend time with folks. I would love to have, like, you and Patricia and other people join up. Um, It's just a matter of making sure everybody has the right equipment and the right games and the and the time. Yeah, the time is a big factor. I did sneak into and watch one of your streams, and oh, yeah. it was really, really fun. You were playing a game, uh, a David Cage game. I was playing, so we played Heavy Rain. Yeah. Which I know David Cage, like everybody has problems with David Cage in the sense True. that he is, his games are not great to women. There's this whole scene, like a hidden scene in Indigo Prophecy where he's dancing with one of the female characters in the game, but she's in her underwear. Like, it's That's so weird. He's weird. What a weird um, man. <laughs> but there are things about Heavy Rain that I really, really like, even though that game doesn't always work either. Yeah. He's going to make Detroit, which I'm sure is going to be fine. I'm going to not say anything. Oh, we could talk, we could, we could talk forever. <laughs> this episode could be about Detroit, but I brought Heather onto the show because I wanted to talk about something that's like a running theme on the Twitch channel. Uh, you get, you stream games that are kind of campy. Yeah, I think so. A little bit offbeat. Yeah. Um, we try and balance it so there's some action games and then narrative games. And most of the nar- like the narrative games that we've played have been kind of silly or a little kind of B-movie-ish. Yeah. Can you define camp for me? All right. So, I'm sure there's something John Waters said that's like. So I mean, I'm not able. Cycle. I'm not going to be able to pull like a John Waters quote or anything. But <laughs> so camp is it's one of two things, right? It's either the perception of like a sort of offbeat or really quirky mm. quality that maybe isn't necessarily intentional. So the way that I always parse that one is when I think of bad voice acting in Resident Evil. Yeah. This kind of exaggerated version of acting or presentation that yeah. is a bit more along the lines of like, you know, you're not saying, oh my God, it's oh my God. Yeah. The so camp comes from theater, right? I, right. I think that's, you know, I forgive me for butchering this history, but it comes from this tradition of acting that exists slightly outside of reality and 
takes uh, normal human interactions and turns them into things that are totally absurd. Yes. So it's it's partially about broadness mm-hmm. and making things larger. And so you're inverting kind of normal social behaviors or at least social values about like beauty or whatever. Mm-hmm. So excessive makeup, right? Yeah. So drag has a quality of camp to yeah. it, for instance. That's its own very specific type of camp and it's a very directed, focused type yeah. of camp. But it's like a squares and rectangles thing. Yeah, a little bit, right? <laughs> you know? But camp is largely this exaggeration of sort of the normal qualities of things that we would consider everyday interactions or whatever. There's a broadness to it. There's a, um, a sort of celebratory exaggeration. Yeah. Well, this is why you end up, uh, camp has ended up being extremely queer. It's basically a tradition of queerness. Hell yeah. And celebrated by queer people. Super good times. Because camp really is about positivity. It's about taking things that are kind of bad and saying, no, that's me. Gita. No, I love this. Gita, Gita, Gita. Yeah. What if bad things were actually really good. What? I know. Oh, no. (laughs) Said the wise man. So right now on our Twitch channel, you are playing Deadly Premonition, which is an incredible game. The wonderful, wonderful Deadly Premonition. It is also garbage. Yes. Well, okay. (laughs) I have thoughts about Deadly Premonition, and we can talk about it, but we can also use it to talk about camp broadly. So Deadly Premonition is this game by a fellow named Hidetaka Suihiro. He's also called Suiri65, all capital letters, so you know he's Auturi, which Mm -hmm. is good. I met him once. He had a stuffed monkey, and he was very... He was very glad to show off the stuffed monkey. Good he for him. He seems like a nice man. Swery seems like a very good man. Um, if people have been keeping up with some of the news, they might have been familiar with his failed fig campaign for a game called The Good Life, which it's, was about... It was a murder mystery in a small town where at night everyone turns into cats. To cats. Everyone turns into cats. Everybody turns into cats. So this is a fellow with a very strange sort of way of looking at the world. He sort of takes vintage Americana or like the Japanese perception of certain forms of Americana, small town life and things like that. And he exaggerates them a lot. So Deadly Premonition is this story. It takes a lot of cues from Twin Peaks where there's a murder in a Pacific Northwestern town and there's an FBI agent who is sent in to sort of find out what's going on there. The townsfolk are all really, really weird. There's this aspect of magical realism to it. Everything is huge. There's the best scene in the game, Gita, mm-hmm. is when, so the FBI agent, his name is Francis York Morgan. He is sitting inside of a diner and there's this guy, his name is Harry. He's like the rich guy in town, but he's in a wheelchair and he wears a mask and he has a servant sidekick who speaks for him in rhyme. Chill. Okay. Very very big, very strange. Mm -hmm. And the entire scene is that he orders a sandwich that is turkey and jam and cereal. And York is like, it's the sinner's sandwich. (laughs) He's he's eating it as a form of penance. Oh, my God. And then he tries it and he's like, no, this is just like a really freaking good sandwich. So the one sweary scene for me that like is indicative of what camp is when you're doing it on purpose Mm -hmm. is the scene from... uh, Dark dreams Dark don't dreams die. Dark dreams don't die. Where they start talking about clam chowder. Yes. So in this scene, um, they it's set in Boston. Boston. Uh, which is a city I'm sure Swery has been Swery's to. version of Boston. Yeah. This is not real Boston. No, this is this Boston. This is Boston as filtered through uh, a Japanese man's it, like interpretation of what people are like it's there. It's fucking Boston. Yeah. So you've lived in Boston for a little bit. Hell yeah. Do you like clam chowder? Wicked love clam chowder. 
Clam chowder is pretty good. Chowder is good. Um, but in the scene, so one, they're talking like that, like cartoon character version of a Boston 100%. accent. 100%. And then the scene, they just start screaming, like screaming about how good clam chowder is in Boston. How the Boston clam chowder is the only it's clam the chowder. the difference between New England clam chowder and like New York clam chowder. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, let me tell you because this oh is boy. important to me too. Uh, New England clam chowder is amazing. It is white and creamy and fantastic. New York clam chowder and some other things. It's like this red broth. And yeah, it's, it's weird. It's bullshit. It's weird bullshit. But the, the aspect of camp that comes through in a lot of those conversations, especially centering around food, right? If camp mm. is this inversion of normal mores or behaviors, <clears throat> right? It's it's taking the action of how we handle our interactions at like mm-hmm. the table and talking with each other and how that's a social thing and instead making that broader. So it's not yeah. just. Oh, so this, this is, is like, I'm sure yeah. a version of a conversation that Sweary has heard in real life. People do talk about how yeah. the oh, difference between New England clam chowder I had, and New York clam chowder. I was traveling. I remember the first time I was ever traveling, I went through Philadelphia and there was, I got clam chowder and it was not, it was not New England clam chowder. Oh, and no. I had a good conversation with my waiter of like what is this thing in chicago for many years and as much as i like chicago style hot dogs uh chicago style pizza is bullshit new york style pizza is the only way to go yeah of course gotta fold it you gotta Gotta, be able to fold it it's all droopy but then you fold it a little bit less droopy exactly it's got the thin crust Mm -hmm. um not a lot of sauce Anyway, you know, these are the, that is a way that people talk. But in this scene, like, at a certain point, they start talking about pizza as well, and they, like, take out a pizza box. He just and, starts like, eating. They just start eating it voraciously. Like, so this big, uh, burly guy, his name's Forrest Kaysen, and he starts taking, like, pieces and stacking them on top yeah, of each other. Yeah, he eats, like, eight at a just... time, and it's animated so that it looks like his jaw is, like, unhinging just in order for him to swallow super them. Super big. And it was... It's it's rides this line. So I think a, the problem with like video game fandom is that people sometimes assume when things like that happen, it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. But camp is something that has existed in all forms of media. And right. I mean, Japan has its own very rich tradition of camp. Um, if you watch anime at all, you probably have a very good idea of what I'm talking about. Sweat drops. Sweat drops. There you go. And, you know. Exaggeration, just in general. It happens a ton in anime. Yeah. Japanese film as well. Like, Japanese comedies rely on camp very frequently. I'm thinking particularly of um, Takashi Miike's adaptation of uh, Ace Attorney, where he uses, he translates the conven- the exaggerated conventions of anime into a live action thing. And that, that is the whole joke. That, you know, people don't behave this way. And when you think about it that way, that's where you see sort of the tradition of where it's arising out of theater, where Mm -hmm. when you're on theater, like even when you're doing, quote unquote, realistic acting on theater, realistic acting on theater is still far more broad than anything you would ever do in real life. Mm -hmm. Because it needs to read to a room of tons of people unless you're doing theater for a handful of folks at some sort of private performance. Like theaters are big mm-hmm. and sometimes they're, you're in a theater in the round or you're in a three-quarter thrust or whatever and so you have to make sure you have all these angles and all this bullshit. So you have to be really, really broad and so theater has this tradition of like, you know, I don't, you don't just point but you like point. Yeah. You can't see it, audience, but I just pointed my arm oh my God, okay. really big. So, And one, that happens in games and animations like you were saying. Yeah, well, animation by nature has to be exaggerated. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this thing... uh 
where in in these in between motion frames, the artist will draw them as a little bit blurred. Yes, or they'll the smear draw, frames. Yeah, they'll distend like the arm a little bit in order to create the impression of a great force being enacted upon Faces it. Faces just kind of turn into these little putty messes for about like two frames at most to yeah. give that sort of perception yeah. of motion. So in games, because games rely on animation, they do have to engage in some of these same things. But there's also an intentional, like I think games and theater are very closely related. Oh, absolutely. Like um, in when you are seeing a play, it does feel interactive because the actor is relying on you to respond to what they are saying. Like there, the absence of that wall there, that invisible fourth wall, allows you to feel closer to the actor than, say, watching it on a movie. Sure, and certain games are more open about that theater influence too. So I played through and reviewed Tacoma for the site, and that is basically a video game version of Sleep No More. And it's that idea of being able to move through space and interact with things and that's a very performance art sort of sensibility of going into spaces and following characters um so there is definitely that overlap between theater and games in a lot of ways um if i do want to tangent just for a second because i want to get this out before i forget about it yeah it's this i think so you were talking about these broad animations and smears Mm -hmm. and things like that and i think that sometimes when players push back against that it's because there's this big push in games for like high graphical fidelity or really realistic graphics to draw them in everything has to be immersive immersive but camp by its very nature is not very immersive at all no camp calls attention to itself camp wants you to notice it it's this very brechtian thing yeah right where um so Bertolt Brecht, for those of you who don't know, I'm not going to go into all of his stuff, but one of the things that he does when he wants to really do uh, things in theater is he wants the audience to be aware of the theater as a space and mm. sort of the separation between the actors and the audience themselves. Mm-hmm. Camp is a, a variation of that, right? Yeah. It's it's um Camp, uh, well, so Brecht wants there to be isolation is what he wants um, and alienation between things. And I think camp in games, particularly Deadly Premonition, because when Deadly Premonition came out, the review scores, even though review scores are shit um, as a concept, like people's (laughs) thoughts on that were just so different. Like people were like, this is charming and endearing and weird. And other people were like, it makes no sense. People are doing weird stuff and the combat's wrong. Yeah, I feel like sometimes with video games, people take something campy and they're like, what do I even do? do with right we're not used to that yeah so my favorite example of a camp game is metal gear solid metal gear solid 2 a smart game with a bunch of ridiculous shit ah the vamp stuff vamp is like a character straight out of camp like uh, the vamp is a camp character he's not called vamp because he's a vampire okay He's called Vamp because he's a fucking no, vamp. He's a he's a, bi- he's a bisexual, you fool. <laughs> that, that's the whole conversation. Raiden's like, oh, he's a he's a vampire, and Snake's like, no, he's a he's a he's bisexual. Oh. Yeah, where this game also finds its camp that is so interesting to me Metal is gear. in this absurd like overextension of what it means to be masculine and powerful. Right. So Raiden is one version of like masculine power, right? He's beautiful, effeminate, but beautiful, sleek, and like ninja-esque in a way that men are allowed to be. And then Raiden, or not Snake. Snake, Snake is. Snake is the... Snake so, is a big gruff. He's right. he is Kurt the, Russell. He's, yeah. he's that. Kurt Russell 
it's a good thing you said that too, because yeah. his name in that game that he uses for his fake name is Iroquois Pliskin. That is so Which funny. is a reference to Escape from New York. So that's yeah. right. Yeah. Right on the money. Yeah. And there it, it he uses, so, um, God, I feel dumb, but I forgot the name of the man. Hideo Kojima? Hideo Kojima. There you go. Wow, that's weird. That's it's a okay. weird feeling to have that name escape He probably my forgets it all the time, too. Sure. He just calls himself God. And he calls himself Mads Mikkelsen's Mads best friend. Mads Mikkelsen's <laughs> best friend ever. Ever. They're best friends. Hannibal pals. I love their friendship so much. Mm-hmm. It is so cute. I wonder how Mads feels about it, though, because it's like so clear that like, I Hideo wonder. is just fanboying like, so hard all I the time. I wonder how Norman Reedus feels oh, about it. Oh, shit. Because Norman Reedus, when, when Hideo Kojima was going to make Silent Hills with Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. like Norman Reedus was his guy, and then now that he's doing Death, Death uh, Standing, Death Stranding, I forget the gosh dang Ooh, name. No. I, I always space out Mostly on that. Mostly what Hideo is doing now. is writing weird movie reviews for Rolling Stone, so yeah, like, let's just not worry sh- about it too much. He's just showing up like, this is what I think of Blade Runner, and you're like, are you the you're the guy who did so. Uh, uh, solid. I guess we're gonna see Death Stranding in like 2030, dude. It's All gonna right. be a while. It's gonna be a very long time if that game even comes out. So far, what we've gotten are a couple of really interesting uh, animated trailers. Yes, and that may be what it is. Um, but yeah, so Hideo Kojima very deliberately uses these two archetypes of masculinity, one that is derided, but still sort of like a powerful image of the, well, and of something that also is more powerful in Japan, right? The, that effeminate, sort of wayfish man. Effeminate, sort of like really attractive yeah. individual. So he pushes that so hard that Raiden becomes this incredibly irritating guy, right? Like he is in his... Want his deference to authority makes him into a fool, but then you take Snake, and Snake is so like ridiculously masculine, he becomes a, a total fucking cartoon character. He's a little bit of a self parody, yeah, which people don't get, and that's almost part of the point of that game too. People yeah. played Metal Gear Solid One, and they were like, "This is awesome," but Snake gets fucked over in Metal Gear Solid One all the time. It's not cool. Oh, it's yeah. this, it's this action pastiche that also says like, "Oh, being an action hero is terrible," but because it's so broad with like psychics that do this big thing and like behind all the camp, uh, sort of action, yeah. Um, I think sometimes the camp action and the earnestness of some of what's going on there kind of obfuscated some of those points. So maybe yeah. maybe camp sometimes can distract from that. Yeah, because like part of the reason why people bounce off of Metal Gear Solid 2 is because it's also fundamentally just a mechanically very good stealth game. Right. Like, if you are there... For, to just play a very good stealth game, yeah, the 20-minute cutscenes that happen once after you walk in the hallway are going to piss you off. You don't need, like, Fortune standing there with, like, a saxophone in the background mm-hmm. and being like, why can't I die? And then, like, Vamp being like, it's okay, queen. <laughs> I love Vamp so yes. much. No, it's all right. <laughs> it's Phil Lamar. Oh, uh, God. So Heather does a lot of really good impressions. I think, I don't know if that's true. That's true. Can you do your Tim just My for a Tim? minute? Tim Rogers yeah. from Kotaku.com? Yeah. Oh, uh, so I'm going to make this video about Bubsy. I don't like him. I don't like that. Uh, 
Yeah, no, I played it, and it's uh, it's not good. <laughs> Sorry. So that's just my. If you haven't watched what Tim is doing for you, professional channel, video please. game expert Tim Rogers. He was born stupid. However, he will not die. He will hungry. not die hungry. All right. Um. So do you have any closing thoughts on camp? I think that, I think that the push towards broader like fidelity in games is kind of bringing games away from the tradition of theater in yeah. camp. But I think creators like Sweary, when I look also, for instance, even though it's not as clear anymore, and this is another Japanese fellow with a proper auteur name, uh, Suda51, mm -hmm. when you look at something like Let It Die and the Broadness and, and that, that was last year. It's a free-to-play game. It's super good. Mm -hmm. I think there are people out there who are preserving a sense of broadness and and and. Theatricality. Yeah, like real theatricality. Yeah, like performance. Games. But well, part of playing a game is performing within it. Yeah, of course. Right? So uh, to, I feel like the reason why I don't really care for games that are all about being real is because I don't enter a game space in order to enjoy more realness. I enter it to enjoy yeah, some course. kind of fantasy. And it's a whole different topic of discussion, but the game, video games idea of real is not close to being Lord, real we could talk about that yeah. forever we could but we promised the people creepypasta we did and we got to talk about well you promised them but we can i, I can i, I can talk if about some creepypasta you week. know way more about this than i do okay because i was like this internet waif that hid in a corner while every like where all the fandom wars and creepypasta was happening i was just like i'm over here like on my rp forums like oh gundam and then you have all these awesome stories yeah no i am really into spooky stuff like october is basically my favorite month yes. because it comes right after my birthday month which is also my favorite month and when you go to Target, you can buy a lot of home goods that have ghosts on them all sorts of ghosts all sorts of ghosts all sorts of skeletons Ghouls. i love spooky shit and this got me thinking, you know, all October, I should revisit some of my favorite creepypasta, yes. specifically from the SCP Foundation. Tell me about them, because I don't know what this is. Okay, so the SCP Foundation is a wiki uh, that's edited just by people on the internet. Uh, it's just a collection of sort of, it's like an anthology that sort of feels like Twilight Zoning sometimes. Okay. It's a story is, um, the SCP Foundation is this secret government agency that works, at, is you know so secret nobody knows about it. I'd never and heard of them they, until now. They classify and capture different sort of metaphysical and supernatural objects. Right. And it works really well as a wiki because that means you don't actually have to write a full story. You can just write um, a really good idea you had for a monster and then that that can take off. Um, one of my favorite entries on the SCP Foundation is this one where um, it's just like a weird grinder. And if you you can add things to it, put things inside one slot and they'll come out the other slot. Okay. And it has a couple of different settings um, like fine and rough. And what it'll do is based on what you put into it, like uh, have different combinations of of thing, you know. Ooh. So you could put a I'm penny. I'm down with this. You can put a penny into it and put it on fine, and it'll come out as a brand new penny. That's a you, fine penny. Or if you put it on rough, it'll come out as little pieces of copper. That's a very rough penny. Um, and like that is like a very fascinating idea. Like they put human flesh and they put it on fine, and it came out as redacted. Ooh. Yeah, it's like. Ooh. Yeah, so like. I, I, they do a. They have another entry that I absolutely love. Okay. That is a tape 
of a 1990s like basketball game. DeVry University. DeVry University. Who has a basketball team? Who knew? They didn't. John Boss knew. Um, John Boyce. So the the tape when you play it the players of the game begin to become self-aware like they understand they're on the tape oh, fuck this. and every time you play it they remember what happened last time and so they develop as a society this is just doki doki literature club it's a little bit doki doki <laughs> literature club I, I clearly i have a type of thing yes, that i love you do but so, it's good because i this is not stuff that i knew yeah and like i, I what is really amazing about creepypasta is that these are all things that are sort of owned by this community now like if you wanted to make a i think there is a scp foundation game and i haven't played but if you wanted to take any of these stories and make them into a movie well you're kind of shit out of luck this isn't something that can be like adapted. Yeah, it's just really. a sort of separate collection of all these different kind of objects or characters or something, by yeah. the way, that you're kind of sort of explaining it to me that you can just kind of get the gist of, but not like a full branching yeah. narrative. Although some, like one some of my creepypasta fav- are like really extended narratives. Yeah. I mean, I know the Slender thing that it was oh, just came from Slenderman just came from a Photoshop Friday form thread on the something awful. I was gonna forms. say that's something awful. Yeah, and it's just someone photoshopped into the background of a picture a tall man with no face, tallest and dude with no face. Took the it just took off, and then Slenderman the eight pages came out, and there's just a multitude of different creepypasta about Slenderman coming to get you in the night. If you've ever been to an anime convention, you will know that very tall people like to cosplay Slenderman and then just stand right outside of doorways. They love doing that. I, want, I hate it. I want no part of everything you just said. I know there's also, um, there's like a bunch of different web series that have our, our internet creepypasta, that Petscop game. The, was a oh, YouTube yeah, series gosh, Patricia copied that. that. I wish yeah. Patricia was here. She knows so much more about that. It's like yeah. a fake PlayStation 1 game. Yeah, it's an imp- very impressive project. It's definitely it's fake. really, really robust. Yeah, but someone made an animated what looks like a very convincing fake ps1 game it looks like it would be made by the same people who made like lsd dream simulator or something it's yeah. really it's pretty out there but why do you think creepypasta about video games is so appealing to people like ben drown is another thing okay like, so ben drown ben drown is actually like like one of the only ones i know yeah so this is a story about uh, a cursed copy of legend of zelda majora's Mask. I said that weird. Um, I don't know the the, uh, the full story beats, but essentially the idea is that it's haunted by this ghost of somebody named Ben, and the the save file eventually changed to say Ben Drown. First it said Ben, I think, mm-hmm. and a bunch of just like bad stuff just happened to people while they were playing this cartridge. So they would and the video there's like video to go with it, which is really really cool. Somebody made the video, yeah. And so Link will just be running around, and then he'll hover in the air and get burnt alive on fire and then when the camera pans around the happy mask guy who has this really big terrifying smile will be like oh you've suffered a terrible fate haven't you um it's just this whole idea of sort of game worlds that have sort of like what you were saying before maybe not agency but Mm -hmm. these spaces that we don't have control over and i think the appeal for video game creepypasta is specifically this notion of I think for a while, people didn't understand technology. So technology, like technology is just scary in general. Mm -hmm. And then also this idea of building worlds and what may or may not happen in those worlds. And like this 
we don't have concepts yeah. in games that are like separation of you know in theater it's like there's a fourth wall in mm. games it's just like everything's kind of blurry yeah i mean uh i one of the biggest creepypasta ever is the lavender town story right the ghosts the ghosts and that not only is a great ghost story but it answers a question that's not really talked about in the game which is something that's really scary it's like what happens to pokemon if they die yeah i don't know yeah who i we don't know and that someone took that weird tension of Pokemon where it wants to be kid-friendly so no one ever faints. No, no one ever dies. They just They just faint, faint, right? Yeah. And gave it a very terrifying answer. And that obviously appeals to us because one, Pokemon saturates our culture. But two, like, because it is just part of our lives, it's disturbing when we can't, like, reconcile them with our actual lives. I think Creepypasta 2... If I'm being really speculative, I think it ties into like gamers and and nerds and all sorts of folk and geeks, whichever, take your pick. <laughs> um, they love to appeal to this notion of canon, which mm-hmm. also means like theorizing. So there's this idea of like, we want something that's definitive, mm-hmm. right? And once you have the idea of like a definitive universe or timeline or a playthrough of a game, like there's that, that's locked in stone and that's the thing we'll appeal, appeal to. But I think there's also this, desire to want to have these strange deviations from that canon because those deviations end up feeling sort of dangerous or forbidden and so when you tell ghost stories or creepypasta or like this is kind of partially the appeal of fan fiction right is like taking this thing that you think is locked and adding a degree of unpredictability or um or intrigue to it that didn't already exist like creating these different pathways and i think that creepypasta kind of appeals to that instinct a little bit So the default format of a creepypasta usually is a story of, I'm telling this to you. Right. So a lot of these show up, they uh, originated from the Supernatural board on 4chan or different threads on something awful where people try to freak each other out for scary stories. I know that No Sleep Now is this sort of subreddit on Reddit dedicated to just new creepypasta stories. But usually because of this format... They end up being like, "Hey, I found this creepy video game cartridge. Yeah, the thing I, I bought was... this book, this journal at a you know a, a book a, a tag yeah. sale, and it had something weird in it." The thing that I was always going to try and compare them to, I think, in my head is it's basically like the video game version. I mean, even though like that happens, like Outlast is an example of this mm-hmm. within its fiction, but this is this is kind of like the video game version of a found footage thing. A where, little bit, yeah. Where you're like, oh, well, like video people game. died making Blair Witch, and just you're like, like Did the they? internet age yeah, right. version of what what just found. Okay, so one of my favorite creepypasta ever, 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 ever. Let's it was go. on No Sleep. It is this one where um, there's a character who's saying, "So my friend committed suicide, and he before he committed suicide, he just started talking to me about this song he remembered, and try as I might." I couldn't find the song online anywhere, any recording of it. And I ended up emailing the AR rep that signed the band that that hit it, that okay. did it. And he tells this very long story about how the this is a band that got famous really quickly for a song that was mediocre, 
one of those like mid 2000s electro pop things. And um, they had this really creepy, you know, uh, like manager with them at all times. And they they refuse to do anything without him. So one day the lead singer's model girlfriend gets in a car crash and her face is totally disfigured and they can't fix it. So the lead singer of the band freaks the fuck out, has a whole like huge argument with this creepy manager and the manager uh, leaves and curses them out and says that they'll, they're never going to be famous. This is just so. the story of replacement Avril Lavigne. So <laughs> they like tell, they write one more song and yes. that song gets more popular than anything that they've ever recorded. Okay. And that song, however, people would call into radio stations in a frenzy requesting it, like unable to think about anything else, only listening to that song. And eventually they would kill themselves after listening to it on end. On end. And, you know, the band broke up. There was an incident where they had to like just remove that song from rotation entirely and try to like um, eradicate any trace of it from online. Like the government got involved, and um, this character, the the AR rap, is sort of like I here's a snippet of it. I recorded it at a um, dressing room a couple of years ago because I'm every time I hear it, I'm supposed to send that like let the government know so that no one can listen to it, and the post ends with um the the mp3 of that song okay and the lyrics go something like you know and he told I me that i did what about <laughs> no, i'm sorry I'm um sorry. the lyrics go something like um i i he told me that he'd take something but i didn't know that he'd take your and then the, the chords are f-a-c-e oh um and then the post ends with you know now that i've heard it it was as good as i remember life just seems like it was so much better back when the song was on the air Oh, it is remarkable. So like the effort that goes into that right. kind of thing. He wrote a song. It's like well crafted. There's all these different parts to it. Yeah. So it's a convincing story that ties into something that I remember, like the music of that time. And then it's a very typical sort of deal with the devil kind of thing on top of it. But what makes it feel convincing is he, he like, recorded the song and then the a snippet he uploaded to to YouTube, though, does sound like it was hastily recorded on a phone kind of in a, a tinny quality and things like that yeah it's very fuzzy very yeah, staticky so if you know the original purpose of creepypasta was purely to freak people out and to make them believe things um smile dog which was written by michael lutz um who is the, oh, okay yeah yeah no he um he came out <laughs> and told people that he wrote smile dog after um, the Bye Bye Man, that movie totally ripped off some of the assets he made for it. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, the Bye Bye Man absolutely ripped off Smile Dog. The story that you're telling me makes me think, I guess the closest video game equivalent of that is a game called, I think it's Polybius, mm -hmm. which is was supposedly a, oh, yeah, like that a urban legend this, like, game. wild arcade game kind of, I think it was kind of like a vector graphics game, the same mm -hmm. way of like Battlezone or something like that. And I don't remember the specifics of this, even though I wanted to look into it and I just never did. But I think the idea was that it was also partially like some sort of government mind programming thing that yeah. would happen where you were playing that. It There's like, always these little variations of like songs that will make you do things or games that will alter your mind or, yeah, or things like, like that. Yeah, but like the format and the way that Creepypasta is disseminated into the world is like 
meant to fool you into believing it's real. Yeah, it's about think that, that, it's that real. fuzziness between stuff you read on the internet in real life and, you know, like um, video games in real life, yeah. where if you can keep your Pokemon with you in your pocket at all times, then they feel a little bit closer to you than uh, the book that you've just finished reading. The it, way that you're explaining it, it makes me think of, and I'm always making strange leaps occasionally, it makes me, it feels like a magic trick, right? Like, yeah. once you know the story behind a creepypasta, like the actual story behind a creepypasta, like there's no power to it all. The thing that makes it powerful is the fact that you want to be tricked. Yeah. No matter, even if you go like, this is absurd, there's a part of you that wants to be like, no, Ben drowned. Yeah. Ben drowned, Keisha. Yeah. So the end of Smile Dog, if you haven't read Smile Dog, which is really great, um, it's, Michael refers to it as the worst thing he's ever written, but <laughs> I, I still think it's a good creepypasta. Um, Smile Dog is his picture, blah, blah. Michael is writing about it as if it's him. Uh, he wants to see Smile Dog. He talks to the last person that has talked about having Smile Dog, and they tell them that after they looked at it, they started hearing voices and were compelled to urge it on. And in their dreams, they can see this image of the horrifying dog with like horrible teeth. And then after, later, they start having seizures. And then the day after they talk to them, they have a seizure so bad they die. Michael gets this mysterious email with the image in it. And he knows all he has to do in order to prevent himself from having that seizure and ha the horrible dreams is pass on the image afterwards. And so the last line of it is, would I do that to someone else? Would I um, give them this curse? Yes. And then when you scroll down, it's Picture Smile Dog. Yeah, of course, yeah. it's got to be right there. Yeah. And like that is the the kind of thing, the kind of, kind of scare you really only get from like an internet thing. It's that feeling of sort of sitting in front of a screen Ooh. and getting slowly more drawn in and drawn in with like a blanket around you and then finally being like, oh no, yeah. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Yes, it's the feeling of taking something that was familiar, like your computer, the websites that you like to visit right. and turning it into another source of horror. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> you, I, you'd made the most set, upset face just then. Yeah, I don't... Heather's a gentle girl. I don't like Halloween and, well, I like candy, but I don't like Halloween. Yeah. And I love scary games, but like in scary games, yeah, you're I the can... only one out of us that can play scary games. Yeah, I can't nobody play scary games. Nobody at the office besides me, I think, or maybe Kirk has finished it too, is like Resident Evil 7 rules. And I played it in VR. It was my first time playing VR. And I was like, ah, oh, they're trying to get me with chainsaws. This is great. And other people are like, this is scary. But like when you say creepy pasta stuff or like lord forbid you were like let's go see it let's go to williamsburg or whatever and like see a scary movie i'd be like oh no like this is you you have that adventure see i love horror movies but i cannot stand horror games i like can't play them i tried to play amnesia the dark descent and i got to the very first scene where the monster happens right. you can hear him breathing and i force quit the game and then dragged the executable file into my trash and then emptied the trash it's still there no, no, it's not. No. Fuck you. No, no, no. Because the thing... Okay, so I will say this. The thing that makes horror movies different than horror games for me, because if we want to talk about these sort of things very briefly, is in a horror movie, if some idiot is walking towards the closet that you know the monster is in, they're going to open it. Mm -hmm. If I'm playing a game, I can maybe go back and like explore a bit and grab a health pack before I have to open the scary closet. Yeah, and I find you, that very empowering. In horror movies, you don't find a stash of armor and bullets right before they no, open I'm, the scary you're door. You're not like, oh, this is oh, a boss fight. Great. They're like behind you and yeah. right in your neck.
See, for me, it's the agency of having to open the door that I find terrifying. Well, doors are terrifying in general. I think yeah. Kirk has written about that. Yeah, Kirk wrote a great – Kirk Hamilton, editor at large, Kirk, wrote a great – Kirk Himmelbug. Kirk Hamilton. Crap cribble Came in with the slam. Uh, Kirk wrote this great post about the anxiety of doors to horror games it's this fear of the unknown Yeah, you know something is there Yeah, but the what is the big question so that is what terrifies me about actually having to have the agency of deciding to open the door that scares me so much if I am watching someone else do it I can just get into the themes of the story I mean the kind of horror movies that I like in general, are more about a creeping sense of dread than um, being spooked or gore or stuff. You're going to watch a Hellraiser and not a Saw. Yeah, basically. That's the distinction you want to draw there. I'm a get-out person. I'm not a hostile person. You want a Clive Barker and not a Stephen King. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although, I have to say, I do like Scream a lot. Well, Scream's really Scream's fun. Scream's silly. Scream's fun. It's a fun. Scream's... Nev Campbell also is incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, she's Nev what? Campbell. What are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? I like Scream. I love Scream. Scream 4 is also good. Have you seen Scream 4? I, I don't have eyes. That's true. It makes it very difficult that's, for that's you to watch That's the creepypasta things. right now. <laughs> All right. On... That note, I think we're going to start doing the end of the show. Yeah, I think wrap we, up. that's fine. So, Heather, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You are the best. You are the best. What? No, you. I'm no, going to hang you. Up, you hang up first. <laughs> so, yeah, Heather's a staff writer at Kotaku.com, just like me. I'm also a so staff writer. It's a website for video games. And snacks. And snacks. And Overwatch fan theories. Yeah, oh gosh. Yeah, New Overwatch character. I got some yeah. fan theories of my own. Oh, about how she's your girlfriend now. About how she's my girlfriend. <laughs> and she yells at me. So if you want to read that post next week, please go visit us on Kotaku.com. You can also Don't send get us... their expectations up. You can... Well, I'm definitely going to be writing about Mora next week. <laughs> anyway, um, you can send us an email if you have questions to favethis at Kotaku.com or tweet it at me or Patricia with the hashtag favethis. Um, you can find Patricia Hernandez's work. She's deputy editor, editor of Kotaku on Kotaku.com as well. So... I wanted to read a review from our iTunes. Uh, this is from Black Daria. Excellent name, Black Daria. She is. I'm Black Jane Lane. She is sassy. <laughs> She's sassy, but also a, l- a little staid. Yeah. So um, they used to call me Daria in high school. Actually, when we played <laughs> volleyball, I would just stick my hand out and not do anything. And then they would sing at me, na, 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 na. Anyway, Black Daria, you and me, we'll get along. So the title of this review is So Pleasant. I love how kind and warm the hosts of this pod are. I can tell they're friends and conversations flow naturally. They're knowledgeable of what they're talking about and provide good insight. And thank you so much, Black yeah, that's, Daria. That's very good. I love Patricia. I love Patricia. Patricia's really great. She's really good. I miss her. She is ill. I'm I'm filling in. I'm the anti-Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, that would be very helpful. It really helps us with visibility. You can also find us on most places where podcasts are found, like Stitcher, and Google Play, and we have a Spotify link now. You can oh, see what's on Spotify. I feel so I want to look at that. about that. So I also wanted to thank uh, Mandana Mofidi, who is the executive director of audio. She is in the booth. She gave me a thumbs up just now. Um, and uh, our theme song, which was produced by Mellow Makes, want to thank him. And the interstitial like commercial music that was done by Stuart Wood. So big thanks to all of those people. Yeah, thank you guys. Um, so make sure also to check out this week's split screen, which Kirk told me is 
the the thing that they're talking about is Mario. They're talking about Mario. All just big full letters, Mario. It's happening. Mario's happening. Yes. Um. And yeah, like thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Y'all should tune in next week. Yep. See you around, guys. Bye.